Welcome to the War in Ukraine update from Kyiv podcast. I'm Jessica Ganawa, a lecturer in international relations at Flinders University in Australia, and I'm talking today with Alexander Kraev. Alexander is director of the North America program at the Ukrainian Prism Foreign Policy Council. We're going to be talking today about the treatment of Ukrainian prisoners of war by Russia and the recent bombing as well of the Olenivka prison in Donetsk. So thanks for joining me today, Alexander. Thank you for having me. It's a pretty grim subject that we're discussing today. I mean, we've seen a pretty horrific video going around of of some really severe mistreatment of a Ukrainian prisoner of war. And then shortly after that, we had this bombing of the Olenivka prison where prisoners of war from Ukraine were being held. So what do we know about the situation? What do we know about the bombing of that prison? Well, currently I can rely only on the information provided by our prosecutor general's office and by our investigators, both from Ukrainian and uh, international think tanks and organization. Mostly they are confident that this explosion, that the whole situation was uh, uh, made uh, by Russians themselves because the kind of damage uh, taken by the Olenivka prison and the kind of burns sustained by uh, our prisoners of war is uh, very likely and highly similar to those sustained by the thermobaric munitions, which are absent from Ukrainian munition stores and which cannot be used with, for example, HIMARS rockets or any other kind of rockets used by Ukrainian military. So basically, what is plot of this situation as of now. Uh, Ukrainian prisoners of war were held in this one specific block and then special incendiary devices were placed there and detonated with them being inside. Other factors that also support this theory is that no one from the prison administration or prison guards or whoever else is working there were harmed in the incident. And as for me, uh, it is basically unbelievable that at night, uh, at that time, nobody from the prison administration or guards were present near someone that they themselves call neo-Nazis or monsters or something like that. So basically, this seems like an basically an execution of the prisoners in a very brutal manner, in a very uh, harmful way. And this is definitely a war crime, nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And honestly, I find it a bit frustrating when I read news media reports that say, Russia and Ukraine are both accusing each other of the attack. And I just think, well, Russia has an obvious motivation for the attack after some war crimes, torture of Ukrainian prisoners of war had come to light, whereas Ukraine clearly has zero motivation to carry out that kind of attack. So some of the prisoners of war who were being held there were from the Azov regiment and had been fighting in Mariupol. And it seems as though the United Nations, the International Red Cross that 
were sort of overseeing that deal of those soldiers being able to leave Azovstal, that they haven't really had any kind of clear enforcement mechanisms over what happened after that. So what do we know about this and what does that kind of tell us about the capacity of the United Nations or the International Red Cross to really help out in the current war in Ukraine in these types of situations? Well, basically, we are once again faced with a situation with a total disadherence of the Russian Federation to any international agreement or any international organization whatsoever. Once again, we see their total negligence to any such kind of international norms or rules. This is not the first time. For example, if we remember the situation with the Georgian prisoners in 2008, they were also patronated by the Red Cross. However, they were placed in some unknown medical, as they call medical facilities in the Russian Federation. And still, uh, the destiny of many of those men are still unknown. Uh, the same goes with uh, soldiers of the Syrian Liberation Army during the Syrian civil war and the Russian engagement in, in this civil war. And now we see the same situation here. So basically, once again, we are coming to a situation when we cannot say that the old formats of international organizations, that their previous uh, methods and instruments of working with the armed conflicts and with something political, so to say. Uh, unfortunately, those old ways are not capable of dealing with modern problems. For example, if we speak about the Red Cross, well, the rules are applicable, for example, to the conflict between two European nations, both of which are signatories to the same documents, both of which are of the same level of adherence to international law or to customary law, and both of them are at the same level of understanding what the armed conflict is about and what it is. But now we see that uh, if we speak about Russia, we speak not only about the political difference, but also, as we say here in Ukraine, about the civilization difference. Because basically, as many of our researchers, especially historians say, they still have this kind of horde mentality. And when I say horde, we are deriving it from the Mongolian hordes, from the state of Chinggis Khan, from the great golden horde. Because at those days, at those times, as we call Mongol Tatars, or just the hordes, they were also famous for their negligence for any kind of agreement, for any kind of good relations to prisoners or good... Uh, good accommodation for prisoners of war of any state. Basically, as of now, we have the situation when European and, so to say, Western instruments and Western practices are being applied to non-Western understanding of the rules and laws of war. And that is why they're not effective here. And that is why now we are at the point in history, at the point in this war, where we should find the answer. Uh, do this organization need to be evolved into something new? For example, their capacity limited or or enhanced, their uh, scope of their work being limited or otherwise enhanced, or we need something new, or we need new instruments, we need new measures, we need new 
limits to international law to international organizations because unfortunately old rules does not apply to this war old norms does not apply to this conflict and basically to this new system because in ukraine it's a common understanding among international relations professionals that we are now talking about new rules new rule book for international relations after this war is ended mm -hmm. so unfortunately international organizations especially humanitarian one as we know it, is something from the previous century. Because mm -hmm. also in some ways, those organizations, as you said, can only function effectively when all parties more or less want to respect international human rights, international humanitarian law. So seeing this treatment of Ukrainian prisoners of war, I mean, I'm sure it must be quite challenging for all Ukrainians. I mean, I can imagine if it was me and even if I didn't know people personally, it's someone who potentially, you know, I could have known or, you know, a, a citizen of my country. What does this make us think about what might be happening with Ukrainian prisoners of war who are currently in Russian-occupied territories? Mm, well, basically, uh, after Olenivka, after all the situations with the released videos and everything else, our worst nightmares are now our reality. So basically, if we... If we are being cynical here, only the prisoners that are, that are very popular in media, that are capable of being swapped for a big amount of Russian prisoners or prisoners of some kind of importance, for example, if you speak about our famous pa paramedic Tyra, if we speak about the leaders of the Azov Battalion, not the common soldiers, but the leaders, if we speak about the leaders of our Marines, of the 31st Brigade of Ukrainian Marines, then they are basically being treated more or less uh, humane because they are to be swapped for Russian officers, for Russian intelligent officers. And that is why, as they say in Russia, they are to be presented as a good commodity, nothing else. And if we speak about the common Ukrainian prisoners, well, I cannot even imagine the amount of horrors they can, they can sustain because in this situation, in this particular case, it's basically an individual factor. It all relies on the willingness, on the viewpoints, and sometimes even on the drunkenness of Russian officers guarding the prisoners and the soldiers guarding them. Of course, we might say that some of them treat them indifferently, some of them even may treat them humane, but as we see, many of them are just giving way for their brutality, for their cruelty, because they're, they're the masters of this situation with these prisoners. And especially when we see more and more successes from Ukrainian armed forces in the field, we might only imagine what these Russian officers feel towards these prisoners. So as of now, the situation is quite dire. Uh, the situation is quite horrific to say the least, but uh, we are doing everything possible to uh, exchange the prisoners as fast as we could. We are doing everything possible to free and relieve them as fast as we could because of the, our successes on the front line. But the situations for them on the ground is uh, really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And how have these events impacted the feeling or the sentiment inside Ukraine? I mean, we've seen with Russia that there seems to be an objective to try to psychologically intimidate Ukrainians, but I imagine that these events might also have the opposite effect, like they might also galvanize resolve. And certainly if I was a soldier on the battlefield, I would really not want to be taken as a prisoner of war. You know, it would almost make you even more determined 
What's the mood or the response been inside Ukraine? I think the best way to answer this question is to give you some examples. First of all, if we speak about the common population, the main mood was, uh, first of all, horror, then disgust, and then anger, like pure, pure anger. And at this time, the main point of the discussion among Ukrainian population, especially in Twitter or in Facebook, it was, we should not be like them. Yes, anger is uh, truthful. Anger is good in the situation. However, we should not be like Russians because we are fighting for something better. We are better than them. So we should take their prisoners. We should not execute them. We should not kill them like animals. We should not do anything like Russians do to us because mm. we are better than them. And because all the civilized nations are with us, we cannot be like these barbarians. So basically, it was not about... Are we scared? Are we not scared? Are we going to kill them or not? It was like, we are going to win, but we should win. We should win like civilized people. We should win like like Ukrainians, not like Russians. And that is why we should be better than them. It was hard because there were many and many, even analysts, not only ordinary people, but even many of my colleagues were like, from this point on, no Russian prisoners. Everyone must be executed. Everyone must be destroyed. But Mostly the the consensus among the population and especially, which is good, among Ukrainian soldiers and especially among Ukrainian officers is that this does not change anything to us. We knew already that Russians are barbarians, especially when it comes to Ukrainians. We knew already that they will do anything to harass us, to make us horrified of their crimes, to make us believe that we could not win against these barbarian hordes. But... We are still working. As it said in famous Ukrainian song, for us, it's only our job to be done, nothing more. So basically, our soldiers are continuing their fighting. They're fighting even more intensely because they do understand what their comrades in POW camps are suffering. So to some extent, you're right. It was more like an impetus for us to continue our struggle, not to seize it. Mm -hmm. To stay humane even whilst fighting in the midst of such a brutal war is really challenging, but I can see how that's important. Thank you, Alexander. I really appreciate you sharing your reflections on this difficult issue. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Mr. Smith for our theme music. Music.